Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, our band talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today for another great show. Uh, we're here, as always, to help public, private, and uh, nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, lately, we've been talking a lot about broadband and economic development. Uh, we have focused a lot on um, on some of the mechanics of, you know, once you get a network in place, what do you do to impact certain economic outcomes? On Monday of this week, uh, we have Blair Levin, architect of the uh, National Broadband Plan, on, who gave a 30,000-foot a, a view of policy and how we need to maybe attack policy from the government level here in D.C., which is actually where I am today, uh, to also to, to help um, accelerate the development of broadband networks in order to impact uh, economic outcomes. And um, he and I and our guests for today are going to be at a uh, roundtable tomorrow here in Washington talking about this topic in more detail. So from the uh, 30,000-foot view, I figured on this show we get down in the trenches and look at some specifics that can impact uh, broadband deployment at the local level. And I think one of the biggest issues and probably one that communities don't follow or understand as much is right-of-way and how that impacts the ability of a uh, city, a state, to be able to get broadband in place. So uh, today uh, our guest is um, Galen Updike. Now, Galen uh, has, and I have been in conversations a lot about broadband and so forth, and uh, he's involved with a major project in Arizona, or I should say a series of broadband projects in Arizona. And uh, as the um, development manager, broadband development manager of the Arizona Department of Administration, one of the issues that he has tackled has been right of way. And so, Galen, number one, welcome to the show, and it's very ha good to have you on the show this week. Well, thank you very much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here, and I hope uh, we can have a good conversation because, as you've indicated, right away is one of those important components that has to be considered wherever you have infrastructure placed. Okay. So let's start with – how do I want to start this this week? So let's talk about um, the role of – policy in general, because actually this is, the, I think, the bigger issue here, and in fact it is one that Google sort of brought to the forefront, because when they picked a city, when they picked Kansas City, they reviewed about a thousand other communities, and one of the issues they addressed or they, they talked about was a big factor was local policies and state government ordinances and so forth, and how those would affect their ability to build uh, quickly once they picked the city. So from your perspective, what, maybe one, what is right-of-way, uh, and then why is it important that we look at uh, right-of-way policies when it comes to the planning of, of broadband? Okay, very good. First of all, right-of-way uh, is uh, inherent ownership of a piece of property. In America, we, we say that, uh, you know, a person who owns a piece of property is kind of the king of that property and gets to determine what happens to that property. And um, as if it's private property, 
then individuals are contacted and uh, some kind of value is assessed for the use of the right-of-way uh, over that property. If you're trying to extend a line or if you're trying to put a road in or if you're trying to put a, an irrigation ditch in or a power line or a telephone line, uh, those are it's a consideration. Now, over the years, what's happened in the cities and towns and states and so forth is the public sector has purchased a lot of right-of-way, meaning the citizens' taxpayer dollars have been, those dollars have been used to purchase substantial right-of-way from the private sector, or right-of-way has been provided, uh, like in the state of Arizona, uh, ownership of land was ceded by the federal government to the state when the state of Arizona was organized and became when it became a state. And this happened a lot in the West, lots of land grants and so forth, and special purposes were assigned to tracts of land. Uh, and typically those tracts of land were going to then be used, in the case of the land grants, to facilitate and pay for education. And uh, so... Citizens have purchased right away over the many years, and uh, it, it sits in either the public sector with government entities as stewards over it, or in the private sector where the landowners then have direct control over what happens on their land. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that's the background, and I think I've just stated the obvious for everybody. But it's important yeah, understanding. Uh, I, it's important to understand the role of government in this. And especially, and I raised the, the, the issue of land grants also, because and the special purposes that land grants have, especially in the western states of the United States. Um, in Arizona, uh, we have about 80% of the land mass is owned by government, uh, either federal, tribal, uh, and, and state government, or counties and cities own 80% or more of the land. And um, therefore, most of our right-of-way issues are issues that are determined and, and uh, go to the, the federal officials or the state officials or the stewards that are elected officials of the, of the government. And um, over the years, policies have been built up. Now, it turns out that right-of-way for a telecommunications line is a little different than a right-of-way for a transportation corridor, for example. Um, in, in the case of the transportation corridor, the land is going to be torn up and uh, dedicated for roads, highways, etc. Mm -hmm. in, in the case of a telecommunications right-of-way, either you're going to be putting up telephone poles along a straight line somewhere, or you're going to be digging a ditch and burying something. Mm -hmm. Again, the land is basically disturbed for a few minutes, and then that cable runs underneath, uh, in underground, or or on an aerial, or on telephone lines. Mm -hmm. And there's still right of way necessary, but much less is needed. Um, so, as we have in Arizona, uh, the other the other thing about right of way typically. If the land uh, is the right of way is to be used for a public purpose, for example, the transportation of water, or the transportation of power, or the transportation of vehicles, most of the time, 
or many times that goes into the public sector and uh, with the exception of maybe telecommunication lines, uh, there is no further discussion as to the land's value or, or the land's uh, purpose. It's now been dedicated for a single purpose and it's, it stays in that purpose. With, the ta with telecommunications, because there's commercial purposes related to it, many times there are also fees associated so the taxpayer gets money back, so to speak, from this commercial purpose. And it's a, a tax that is then uh, hopefully used to pay for schools or whatever or to, to uh, enrich the coffers of the treasury of the government so that they can proceed and do other things. It goes into the general fund. Mm -hmm. And this has been going on for a long, long time and lots of precedents. What's happened in the last few years, however, is the, the importance of telecommunications, the importance of information transfer, has, has trumped a lot of other things, and we're still using old precedents and old policies to, in fact, in this case, put barriers into the way of good uh, telecommunication expansion or infrastructure expansion that we need. Mm -hmm. And um, and so in some cases, we almost cut off our nose to spite our face. Um, for example, in many cases, we have stopped the deployment of fiber in Arizona because it has to go across some land-grant property, and that land-grant says you have to get the highest and best use for it. And so uh, they charge an exorbitant amount every month or every year for the use of that land, which was, and the taxpayers who want to get communications to a school, broadband to a school for the purposes of education are stymied in that they have to pay themselves back tremendous amounts of dollars just to get across the land. And in many cases, in fact, it will stop the deployment of, of infrastructure two vital key uh, uh, applications like education or, or health. And so we've come to a point where what's more important, uh, being a participant in the information, information age and the full economies that it, it, it uh, supports, or uh, the few dollars that we get as rental uh, to uh, subsidize and pay for a fee, a pay a fee uh, to uh, provide uh, some uh, some dollars back into the coffer, the taxpayers' coffers, so they can do other things. And that's the choice that policymakers have to make. And uh, so uh, we've done a couple of things in Arizona that you probably have heard about. And I'd like to, I mean, at the at the appropriate time, I'll, I'll suggest some innovations that we've made in Arizona that I think are useful to the rest of the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, uh, I do want to get into that sooner, actually, rather than later. But let me just sort of back up for just a half second. So in general, if, if we're understanding the role of right-of-way, um, the money, the fees involved with this, that it is, in essence, a, a rental fee for using the land. I mean, it was basically there are what right-of-ways along railway lines, along 
highways and so forth and so on. I'm involved with a project right now, actually, doing planning for uh, a small community in um, in Iowa uh, called Tuma. And uh, the city is very concerned about the right-of-way issue. Uh, in their case, it's just – it didn't have you started with a discussion about fees per se, but if you open up the right of way, you want to make sure that you do it in such a way that you don't inhibit competition over that 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 right of way. You don't get someone in and because you know you structure a, a, an agreement or a rental agreement or whatever in such a way that they become like the exclusive tenant in in, in either in fact or in practice. I uh, sure, so, you know, technically in legalities or in, you know, in practice, they become sort of like the only tenant. So, you know, so that's their particular issue. But ultimately, it seems like it comes down to that fee is a um, a rental for the access to that piece of land or section near the highway or whatever it may be. Now, is that a mis- right. misinterpretation of what we're what we're no, that, what we're, and I mean, no, that is absolutely correct. It's interesting to note that when the government owns something and the right-of-way is used for a governmental purpose, uh, the land is then dedicated and permitted to do that, and a a right-of-way is suggested for that land. And in case of transportation, typically that's the final uh, decision that's made, and there is no more fee necessary for that. It is just land that is now set aside. The taxpayer Mm -hmm. buys it once, and it's done. But as as you have a second purpose then dedicated or put for that right-of-way to be used, like, for example, now a private company wants to come along and utilize that particular right-of-way for a second purpose, uh, it has become a policy that says, okay, this is a commercial purpose, and now we want to get some back to the taxpayer a benefit. We want to read – we want to – uh, use dollars that are from that for other purposes, therefore we'll start charging for that right-of-way in a fee-based environment and we'll, get, we'll derive some good from that. And, and in the past, that has seemed to be good taxpayer policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes to um, a mindset that says, we want to optimize all the dollars we possibly can in fees and in taxes to to uh, enlarge the dollars that we have to use for the public good. And in this per case, in this case, and especially in the case of telecommunications, it might be a little bit counterproductive. Right. And, and that's well, the education okay. process we're talking about. Right. And I can see where if the fees are uh, high enough or arbitrary enough, that becomes another cost of of doing business. You know, it's like in in Iowa, they have this situation, and I'm still trying to get my head around it, but the essence of it is um, because broadband is a telecommunications service, you, uh, when you come in, you are, in essence, assessed a second tax uh, because you're using, you know, you, so basically if you're using a piece of land, then that fiber becomes like this weird, like a property, if you will, that they're now going to assess a second or a, a second tax on, which then makes right. it more costly for the provider to build a network, you know. And so part of our discussion kind of came around to, well, is there a way to somehow um, reduce the, the second tax 
you know, the second right. state tax, so it becomes a barrier. So I gather what you're saying is that we 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 come into situations where maybe by enacting a fee, you create you increase the cost of doing business, right? So that's on the and one hand, which that's correct. Make sure that I'm making. Because not everybody in my audience is probably has gotten is maybe into the right of way discussion, but isn't this the same as um, if you move a business into a mall, you might pay you know additional for that purpose, right? For being in the mall and say, well, number one, if you ran the business out of your home, it's definitely an expense because you're paying for rent and all the rest of it, and maybe it's more expensive to be in the mall than it is to be on a block. You know, you know, a warehouse in your general neighborhood. I mean, this is like right. a hypothetical thing, right? Um, and and, and so, yeah, the old saying in real estate is location, loca- location, location are the most important decisions that you have. You know, right? Exactly. So, so if and so, in the context of that dynamic, um, doesn't the state, in some respect, in that they have bought, pro- you know, land or whatever that is set aside as right of way? Aren't they in the same position as the mall owner who bought mall facility and who is then going to turn around and rent that space out to someone that wants to do business there? And and that is exactly the case. And so the there's a the fee then goes back to the general fund and the and right. it's pennies on the dollar obviously so forth. But there is a, a small benefit. Now okay. here's the very interesting thing, and that is and, and most people don't think of this layer. Uh, so, the telecommunication company in their fees and the rates they charge their customers, they include that cost as part of their cost of doing business, and then they they assign a percentage of profit above that. So, they basically get from the ratepayers then the cost of the uh, their own business needs and their their expenses plus the fee that they're being charged by the Governmental entity that is is also uh, charging for that the, the use of that land, right? Right. It's becoming circular the same way that if I got an increase in my mall rate, I would end up passing that increase along to the products I sold from my location in that mall. And it turns out that forty percent or fifty percent of all uses of telecommunication is by government. And guess who pays? For that invoice, when the when the government receives an invoice from a private sector entity, they look at that invoice and say, "Oh, I've got to raise taxes to pay for this invoice. It's part of my budget." Right. It becomes it, it can it can increases the circular aspect of this whole thing. That's right. And so what happens is right of way is paid for over and over and over again. Okay. By the citizens who own the right of way. So that's so one of the is- issues. Okay. So now then what has Arizona now is probably a good time to talk about then what has Arizona done in response to this and then how does this uh impact and ultimately hopefully benefit then the the citizens of, of Arizona? Because you mentioned there were like a couple of things that you guys are doing. Yeah, there's a couple of things we're doing and, and uh, uh across the United States everybody is looking at this ratio of uh of benefit at the at the nickel and dime level versus the economic benefit that is being uh to which a barrier is in front of which a barrier is being placed because of the 
excessive time for permitting and licensing and also these charges that add to the bottom line and cause uh, a, 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 shall we say, an unattractive return on investment for a particular place to be uh, ha where uh, infrastructure might be installed. Um, so Arizona, in looking at this, we determined that because highways for ages have their right-of-way is settled. Once uh, a, a particular, and, and highways all go, also go where the people go. Right. And most of our issues, most of our issues are in the rural areas of the United States. And so we have threads of highways that lead to where the rural populations are. And uh, what we determined was that for anything, any highway that's managed by the state of Arizona, where the where state transportation department has stewardship over, uh, not, not to the counties and not to the cities, and, and certainly not uh, any private sector land where, you know, I mean, if it's toll road, then you probably, we're not talking about that. But, but in these cases where state land is being used or the state transportation department has jurisdiction and steward over that right-of-way, uh, what we are going to do is uh, we added to the the definition of what a transportation corridor carries. It carries vehicular, you know, uh, wheeled uh, environments. It carries bicycles. It can carry. Uh, it can transport uh, goods and services, etc. And uh, we added to that mix of things that a that a corridor can carry information mm -hmm. in the definition in the state of Arizona. Then we also said, and the the conveyance for this information will be a conduit for fiber. And so it leaves it open as to whether the fiber, the conduit, is going to be used. But now. The planning goes wherever there is an open highway where there's a, either maintenance being performed or where a new highway be, is being constructed. We have we have said that it's a policy that conduit be put in those places. Okay. And also, if a private sector company wants to build conduit as part of their fiber build, the conduit will be owned by the state for use of, you know, the, the permitting process does this, the, the state will assume the care and keeping of the conduit. And the fiber, the, the, the private sector company can come in and pull fiber through it, but it doesn't have an exclusive right to the conduit. Right. So okay. the taxpayers own the conveyance; they own the physical plant, mm -hmm. and a of uh, the the fiber that is used, the electronics and all of those, is owned by the provider. And so this hopefully will free up long stretches of middle mile routes, and in in diverse places in the state where in the past 
it's been difficult to get permits. It presupposes that the purpose of the highway is to carry information. Therefore, so in essence, you're it's turning the highway into a um, you are an information highway, a literal highway, and 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 making it a real information highway. I mean, it's like that a, is correct. It's almost like a policy pun, if you will. It's um, a policy turn. Right. Okay. And so now does that eliminate? Now is is part of the deal that the state won't charge uh, right of way fees? In this case, what what the state will do, what the state does is then it assesses the cost of the build of that conduit, and that conduit then is leased, and re the cost of that conduit to be built is is recovered only to the cost of it. It's not seen as a revenue generator. Mm -hmm. It only is to recover the cost of building and or maintaining that conduit. And once you put a conduit in, it's going to last. 50 years, you know, I mean, under, with the materials that we use. And and so uh, it becomes a, more importantly, it becomes a permanent path. And if you have these multiple paths, then, then all of a sudden your opportunity for, for, uh, for, shall we say, more secure networks gets put in place because you have secondary paths and third paths. And that's another issue in Arizona. We we have single paths and we don't have loops in much of mm -hmm. our middle mile. So again, so, oh, that's right, go ahead. I do have a question now, but go ahead. So I was what I'm saying is now we've set aside and we change the we change it's a philosophical change, it's a policy change. Mm -hmm. It puts the it puts the citizens' needs for information at the same level as the citizens need for transportation. Got it. And it it also dedicates the same right of way, if it's possible to do so, that's used for transportation as uh, that's used for um, uh, information transport. If you, now, just an interesting aside, the very first highways in the United States were built as postal roads. And what did the postman carry? Information. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a it's not a new policy. It's just a, a, re, a redressing of an old policy because now the postman doesn't you don't he doesn't physically carry something. It's carried down a, a tube. Mm -hmm. But what you've done, it sounds like, is that. By leasing, by having a very clear line between lease fees and the cost of building the conduit, it sounds like what you're addressing is charging right of way, in essence, over and over again, or right of way costs on an annual basis. I'm not sure how typically right of way costs are collected, but you, you, you basically have limited the amount of times that the government can collect money for the use of that particular right of way. That is correct, and so the right of way is not charged for over and over again. Right, uh, and and uh, so it's recognized that just like the transportation corridor, the highway, except for maintenance, not is not paid for over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, but its use and it's is for a, a specific purpose. Now it turns out that as highway right-of-way was purchased in many cases 
the landowners that sold the property to the state or to the you know, for use of a highway had uh, de designated a single purpose for that highway, a single purpose for that right of way, and uh, sometimes uh, communications or other purposes were excluded. And so we have to go back and perhaps renegotiate through a number of different ways. Uh, eminent domain might be a, a negotiation process also. Mm -hmm. uh, and finding who all the private sector people for a highway that was de developed years and years ago is is a very, very difficult thing. And so there may be some, shall we say, some, uh, again, eminent domain type practices that go in and recover the right of way for multiple purposes, or they'll go out and and maybe pay a, a second fee, but it will be a one-time charge. Mm -hmm. The likelihood of, of a highway going back to the landowner is very, very low. Right. The likelihood it will never be returned to its original purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, eminent domain is a possibility as a, as a legal mechanism to eliminate some of these uh, Gordian knot type issues that that mm -hmm. can develop. Well, let me ask this question. If in a scenario, say, I'm just going to use a figure only as a point of making the point fairly clear. If it costs me $1,000 to to build the conduit, and if the first three providers that come through that want to use that conduit pay me $1,000, does the fourth and the fifth provider, in essence, come on and, and have no charge at all, so they basically get on for free? Or well, uh in our policies, we're going to mitigate those situations, and we are uh, our, 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 what we're trying to do is then uh, eliminate the cost um, of uh, and, and only charge once for the build-up of that conduit. Right. So uh, what we want to do is recover the cost, and so however the mechanisms work to do that, if we have to, in fact reimburse uh, a first user because somebody else has now sh helped share the cost, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. Or uh, maybe the benefit to that first user will be that they get to now for a uh, up to their, their cost charge a second or third user and they become, say, a, a contractor for the government to mitigate mm -hmm. those costs. But you know, nevertheless, the the idea is that you just charge up to the cost of the conduit. Right. I mean, I, I so I, I can I conceptualize the idea of you know if you view it as a problem, in essence, paying rent the same way that um, I mean you know a right away fee if you look at it sort of as a rental thing, right? I move into the mall, I may pay fifty bucks or I may pay five hundred bucks a month to have the space in the mall, and I know that every month I'm going to get dinged, even if I'm there for ten years which clearly I may have paid back that space cost, but I'm still being charged that amount, right? In essence, the right. mall owner is making a revenue off of my doing business at that particular location, right? Right. And so what it sounds like you're doing is you're, you know, following on the mall example then, is you're, a, you're, you're basically saying that the mall owner can only charge you 500 bucks a month until the space, or you you know decide that value of that space or building that space has been has been covered. And yeah, until the mortgage is paid. Right. 
which I can, I, it's like I can sort of see this, but at the same time, I'm not wondering if I'm, I'm, not, I'm wondering if I'm missing something in the process there. Uh, well, the, the problem that we have is we're not the government isn't going in it for the profit. The government is going in to cover their recover their costs. Right. Okay. And so there's a difference between in the business process plan. you have now. In the process you have right. now, the government is going in to recover costs as opposed to what you view as the typical case where the government just continues to charge you rent even though the mortgage has right. long since been paid. And that and that is seen as a tax and a continuing tax and is seen, uh, seen as a, a a process for revenue. Uh, and and that goes into a general fund and is used to pay for other things. Right. And, uh, okay. Okay. So we're eliminating the paying for other things. We're saying this is a single purpose, and as soon as the costs are covered, the mortgage cost is paid for, and everybody's happy. Okay. Now my basic understanding about fiber, obviously, that once you put it in the ground, you don't have to, except for the electronics part. You know, at the actual fiber that runs through the conduit. The conduit doesn't necessarily require upgrade and maintenance the same way a, high, a physical highway right. does, right? I mean, that, that's kind right. of our thinking in that, in that element? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So your costs are, are become very low. The, and the cost of putting fiber or putting a conduit in, I should say, not the fiber now, the cost of putting conduit in down the edge of a, of a road is, is in the same ballpark as paint striping the highway. Manually. I'm sorry. Say that again. The cost of putting fiber in a conduit in down the side of a road, right? After the engineering has been done, you know there are some engineering goes into it. The physical cost is about the same cost as paint striping the highway. Okay. So and uh, okay, go ahead. How much does it cost to paint stripe the highway? You know, well, it's it's a cost. And you only have, but in the case of the fiber, you only have to do it once. The conduit, you only have to do it once. Hmm. So it's something that, and 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 we're talking. Uh, they did a stretch of highway in uh, in Massachusetts, 51, 51 miles across Massachusetts, and the cost was something like four and a half million dollars to put fiber and some con, I mean conduit and some fiber, but they. They engineered the route, they then dug up the landscape, put the conduit in, and it was ready to go along a highway, $4.5 million. Uh, I checked to see how much it costs to do the eight lanes of highway, that, that, or six lanes of highway that, 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 was, that represented down the, the state highway that went the length of the state. It was about $4.5 million to do the striping on the roads and paint striping mm -hmm. highway. So before I go into, because I don't want to lose track of the, you know, where this fits in the economic development picture and where does this fit in the right. speed at which you deploy broadband, but at a certain level, isn't this really coming down to the idea, the ideology behind the right-of-way, not so much the physical right-of-way, not so much about whether we're paying off the cost of building in the conduit, but it kind of goes to this point of, the government or governments have, in some respects, enacted right-of-way fees um, as a revenue generation because, in order to operate, the government the government has to generate fees and taxes. I mean, it's kind of one of those right. 
this is not to get into the, the rightness or the wrongness of it, but I'm just trying that's to that's the current situation. Down. Right, but I'm trying to nail it down to the you know, are we talking an ideal ideological struggle versus strictly a you know the cost of getting broadband out to the to the public? It's an it's an ideological struggle here, in that I mean it's a change of it's a change of mind if you will. Right. And and it, it's uh, everybody agrees that transportation corridors are tremendously important. The economies don't exist without them. Right. Everybody agrees that a canal, as absolute, either it's a water source or it's a transportation corridor. Uh, everybody right. agrees that that is vitally interested for the economics of a, of a, of a place. And right-of-way is established, work goes into it, and it's done. Mm -hmm. It turns out that the cost of building a, a highway and the cost of building a canal to carry water, and even the cost of building uh, what's necessary to carry power over long distances also, those costs just are huge compared to the cost of putting conduit in ground. There's no safety issues. And it doesn't require hardly any space, and the materials are certainly uh, not significant. It's uh, you know a conduit, a, an inch, a four-inch conduit uh, down it requires a two-foot hole, a two-foot deep hole, and a with a uh, four-inch wide whatever you know. And then you have off-ramps occasionally uh, outside that you have to have boxes and so forth. So the cost is almost insignificant compared to other right-of-way structures. But the importance in the 21st century of those conduits to our economy is absolutely critical. We can't exist anymore without them. Mm -hmm. We cannot so, exist without, the, mm -hmm. without this basic infrastructure that carries information uh, in massive amounts from place to place. Now, um, let's kind of bring this into the the, the cost of, of broadband. And so if I'm a community and I look at it as, okay, so assume I have an ideology that says, you know, I'm all in favor of fees, you know, within reason that will generate revenue for local government as an economic issue. Is this, does this kind of – or can this kind of become a discussion about um, a trade-off between revenues to the – Community via fees versus uh, economic benefit and other, you know, benefits to the community because you're enabling, excuse me, you're enabling broadband to come to town for you know less money, more people are participating, whatever you know you see happening when you reduce that fee issue. I mean, can well, yeah, and just like that? and here these are. Just think of the cost savings that come about because people can work out of their homes to the brick and right. mortar compared to the brick and mortar costs of, of building <laughs> more pavement and more parking lot spaces. Just think of the uh, cost savings that come when we can educate in a virtual way versus educating the way we're doing right now. Uh, and just think of the same. Think of the type of people who use. Uh, the uh, information age, who are part of the information age and are making their living via the information age. Uh, typically, 
a higher paid individual. And the economic, for that person to be able to live in a place where there's good communications and be paid and also be paid for his ideas, and then he goes out and spends that in the economy and generates multiple sales taxes and multiple other benefits and income taxes, it pales into significant in insignificance the 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 derived amount that's the nickels and dimes that are derived through pole attachments, a monthly fee or a a rate, and then the other the other cause that happens is the permitting, the permitting of of and the timing of these permits. Uh, to just utilize some right of way in the right in the private sector uh, is just hellacious, and you know, you know hours and hours of, of multiple hundreds of per of dollars per hour for the use of a lawyer to go through and make agreements where if the public policy said uh, this is dedicated for this purpose, you you are permitted in advance to use it. Uh, all we have to do is negotiate. Uh, what the our cost has been, and whether that's been mitigated already, some mm-hmm. in some manner, it's yours for the taking. Go use it. Right. So let's look at it from this perspective. What is the impact from your either observation calculations? I'm not sure where in the in the state government this exercise might have been done, but <clears throat> what's the cost of, um, or I mean, maybe what's the benefit? of the fees coming in, you know, and what kind of impact do those fees have conversely of keeping people from or co- companies from building conduit? So I guess I'm looking for sort of that, you know, the, the cost-benefit thing of saying, uh, you know, are the fees so high that they measure, you know, uh, quantitatively prevents companies from coming in and building infrastructure because of those fees, I mean, it's sort of like the thing in Iowa. I haven't gotten to the specific Actually, numbers. I, I, I have, and I, you're correct. That's a good question. Actually, they're not that high. The fees themselves typically are, again, in nickel and dime territory, unless you're going across, uh, in, in the case of Arizona and in the case of uh, uh, state trust land, where Arizona uh, has insisted that it could be highest and best use, and uh, and in in the past, the use of that land has included a percentage of the business of the commerce that goes over that land. Mm-hmm. The use of the land in, for the purpose they'll extract a percentage of that use if they can. Right. And so that becomes significant, but that's a special case. Uh, typically, pole attachment costs and uh, other types of costs like that haven't been. Uh, a significant part. What has been significant, however, is the time it takes to do the permits, the time it takes to do the environmental studies over and over again, the time it takes to do the history studies. Typically what's happened in the past as is across a, a, a particular uh, piece of land where a, a provider wants to come in and do something, they have to stand for the cost of all of the redoing of the environmental costs uh, and all of the historical studies 
and all of the other studies that if it's federal land, especially it's onerous. If it's state land, it's still a little bit onerous. And the time that it takes to get all those permits lined up and uh, agreed to uh, is, and the personnel necessary to do that type of work uh, just creates a tremendous uh, cost. There was a, a piece of land that was used a right away that was finally turned over to uh, one of our providers in Arizona uh, uh, down a seven, I think it was about 28 miles of uh, to connect two fiber to between two uh, uh, different uh, ilex. It was no man's land in between. The fiber hadn't been laid yet. Mm -hmm. $7 million is the cost of the total cost of putting the fiber in over that 29 miles. 65% um, of that cost was permitting. Right, okay. So, okay, so then, then I can basically then from what you're saying draw a conclusion that particularly for smaller providers, <clears throat> the cost of doing business when you have to deal with all the permits and so forth, become an impediment, which means that either you won't become a player in the market, which then has an impact on the competitiveness of the environment, which, you know, down the road has an impact on what broadband will cost everybody. Um, so you, you have an impediment in that respect. So there's like a, there's a cost, and that affects the smaller guys. But then you also have a time delay factor. I mean, it's going to basically, even if you had the money, you still have to look at all this time delay, which then ultimately delays the time in which you get the network in place, and people benefit by that. I mean, that, right. you know, that's and, be and so of all of those are, and all of those are added together, and right. the return on investment then is compared against the, uh, the the return the, the the return on investment then of the total dollars that could be collected by from end users for the use of that particular section. Of, of fiber for the you know and typically it's done by a, in a primary way and and so you you've got a target audience that you're calculating with and uh, to upgrade somebody's uh, into a say a small populated area a couple thousand people who have a need to to have higher bandwidths it, um, so your whole customer base is a couple thousand people, and if you're going to spend a million dollars for 29, 29 miles of fiber to get to him, uh, it's going to take a long, long time to to to, to uh, uh, amortize that cost. Right. At twenty nine dollars a shot. Right. So the question then that comes to my mind then is, <clears throat> rather than removing or capping right-of-way fees, because I'm sure that those can be set up, down, high, in between, or whatever, that the real focus should be on the permitting process. Because as I look at the broadband stimulus projects across the U.S., as I look at those, like, first days after you started hearing about, you know, Open Case and other places receiving uh, the go-ahead, you know, they're going to get awarded money and so forth, the biggest problem, the biggest time delay was all of the permitting issues. So it right. seems like the thrust of, you know, reform of a process on the front end of broadband deployment <clears throat> needs to be about streamlining permitting. You know, it seems like right. if I can go back to um, uh, the, the city of Ottumwa in Iowa, right? So it's a small place, 25,000 people. But they have in the county, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 different communities. 
it is much easier to conceive of a broadband plan uh, being effective not only in the in that county but in that that region of, of Iowa, it's like the southeast part. It's kind of very rural. Right. Tends to be uh, very you know a lot of poverty and so forth. But it seems like if you went at the thing uh, the task of streamlining your permitting, streamlining these environmental studies, you know, eliminating some of these year after year, right? Because I'm I, personally, you know, I'm I'm, I'm in favor of you know, protecting the environment, protecting people. But at the same sure. point in time, if you sort of realize that, um, you know, your, 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 you know, year-to-year impact on the environment really isn't going to change that much. I mean, you as the business that went through the right. environmental study in the first place, then right. why not go whole hog at reform of the process, the paperwork process? That's and right, and that's a, and I'll give you an analogy that where we need to be, and then I, I, I'm getting, I have a, I have a, another appointment that I'm going to have to end this. Oh, here's the analogy. You're going to have to cut out a right. Right. Here's the analogy. Okay. Talk to me. Uh, when a trucking company who desires to use a highway as a route for its delivery of goods and services, if the highway's been built, the trucking company doesn't have to go to the government who owns the right-of-way and get a permit to have egress on those roads. Mm-hmm. It's already predetermined that a trucking company can use a highway. Now, there might be special costs the trucking company has to do because on, on the maintenance side, but that's, that's minuscule as to the upfront permitting that they don't have to go through. Mm-hmm. And, and in our case, what we've done is we've said, in the case of telecommunications, every time a new route is to be determined for telecommunications, whether it be along a structure, an existing right-of-way or not, if it crosses government land, it's as if that company is the originator of that first use of that Mm right-of-way. And and it has to go through every permitting process again and again and again. And the government is set up to do that for some reason. It's just, it's become, why they do it, we don't know. We call it kinks in the pipe. Mm-hmm. But so we need to have a refresh of that entire thought process and bring broadband into the same category of infrastructure to our to our economies as is transportation, power, and water. Mm-hmm. And if we do that and we clear the decks and make our policies similar to those, uh, uh, realizing that transportation corridors for right-of-way for fiber is so much less expensive that, and the impact on the land and all of these other things is so there's no safety issues, et cetera. It's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, all of a sudden our life gets a whole lot easier. Right, 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 right. No, and then again, I, I, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, do you have? I know that you've got a, um, a hard stop here. Do you need to go in the short term? Because we have technically eight minutes of, of show time left, and I might invite some of our listeners to call in if they have additional comments or or let's, thoughts let's on the whole. I have to break away at four minutes before three. Okay. All right. I'm watching the clock here. So we got four minutes. Um, 
we're going to be at this um, this uh, this roundtable tomorrow talking about broadband's impact on on economic development. Um, is there anything in the policy process? So, getting beyond the right of way issue and the permitting issue, is there anything in in the typical call it um, policy process of local or state governments that could be addressed to further streamline the process of getting broadband into place sooner? Uh, oh, there's all kinds of things that can be done uh, with regard to. It, there, you know, we do we do have to overcome all the safety issues and all the other issues, but okay. there's just a a whole number of things that barriers could be removed. It's a philosophy change. It's saying that that what's more important, the fee or the actual production of broadband or right. availability of broadband, and that's the and that's the bottom line. And as soon as you begin comparing against the importance of the item, all of a sudden other things get put uh, put away and are n not considered important any important anymore. Right. And uh, I think you make that decisions the, that are different. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're starting to see in a number of states, <clears throat> particularly in, I think in cases where you have called multi-jurisdictional projects. So, for example, in, in, in Vermont, uh, where they've got mm -hmm. 23 communities banded together, or or Western Massachusetts, right. where they got 43 uh, communities banding together. In those cases, to make those smaller segments of the state, you know, the uh, that particular region work, I think there was an insistence among the players that they would review their permitting process as cities and say, look, you know, we need to figure out between us 16 cities or. 43 or whatever, that we need to streamline our policies so that that one provider or two providers can come in and address our communities as a whole if we grip or come to grips with, uh, with, with our policy issues. Because no one wants to deal with 43 different policy oh, yeah. programs that you gotta, you got to meet. So, so right. maybe, and, and you know, I, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and these incremental savings that we're talking about, a little bit here, a little bit there, will in fact lower the uh, lower the cost, improve the return on investment uh, schema, and as and and Blair Levin, he says you got to change the formula, and this is part of changing that formula. Harking mm -hmm. back to Blair, mm -hmm. and now, so way, that's what we need to do. Okay. So now, um, in, the, in the last minute or so before you have to break away, since you and I started talking at the beginning of this, the stimulus process, do you feel like Arizona is, I don't know, 40% close to where you would have envisioned it a couple of years ago? Are you guys 80% you know, closer to where you wanted or expected to be? You know, Good question. You uh, we, we have people now coming to us from out of state and some of our own providers in the state looking at, Highway segments they've never looked at before, and and starting to they they realize the cost savings that the new policy implies, and they're saying we want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So they've already done some of their own re, uh, return on investment calculations, and they found some positive changes just in this philosophical change. Right, and that and I think probably as the conclusion of of your uh, you know comments here, but where we will pick up tomorrow is, I think, a, a, a continued discussion about 
the individual policy issues. You know, how as you know, states like for example, you know, Iowa is getting ready to try to, to, to consolidate because I think they're like 40th in the in the country overall as a state, right? And they, they want to get out of that that process. Minnesota right. is, is, you know, they've got a goal to move so many points ahead versus where they are currently. And I think the takeaway for those states is from, you know, from your experience is, you know, start looking at policy changes individually as communities so that collectively you make a stronger case to providers as a region or as a state going forward. Right, right. And that's what we're trying to do, and I think we've been successful. And with that, I do have to end here. Not a problem, Galen. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show, and I really, really appreciate your participation. Uh, look forward to your feedback. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm, Bye. All right. So we have about three minutes or so left on the show. I do want to use the airtime to maybe uh, add on to a, number, a couple of things that, that Galen has talked about um, you know, as communities. And I think that this is an issue that I have talked to folks about uh, over the last couple of years is the, the the streamlining. And now the biggest issue probably is the politics of it all, that you have uh, different cities, different needs, and all the rest of that, and and you have different political egos and a whole morass of stuff to deal with. And, um, and in those communities that I've talked to that have the multi-jurisdictional projects, um, they all talk about how in the very beginning, they have brought the community leaders, they have brought elected officials together, and they have basically said, you know, you have to make a decision. Either um, this broadband stuff is important to you or it's not. If it is important, you know, beyond the lip service, there has to be willingness to look at those issues that have become, you know, uh, white elephants that have become sacred cows or whatever part of the animal kingdom you want to bring into this discussion but the, the, you got you have to look at some of these in the in the bigger picture of you know what does broadband mean to us and what of these you know can be streamlined can be adjusted can be updated. I mean you will have I'm, I'm sure in almost every state rules and legislation that goes back to the to the 20s, uh, as in the 1920s, and at a different age and a different set of circumstances. And now you know broadband might be the impetus to say look. Let's take a look at these things we've done almost by rote, almost by, um, you know, instinct versus thinking really clearly about it and come to grips with a, a new planning uh, process. So with that in mind, um, I think we have some additional stuff to think about. Um, I want to I thank everyone who, who has been on the show, to, uh, listened to the show today. I think there were some good uh, points that were made I think there's a lot for us to think about as advocates of broadband, and um, and I think that we will look at uh, some definite changes. I've been reminded by one of our uh, uh, audience members that you know the big one philosophy is another element of people looking and saying, let's change how we've done stuff in the past. When we're going to build a highway, let's build conduit. When we're going to build a new building, let's build infrastructure in the building that supports broadband. And we can pick this up and talk about this in, in more detail. Um, next week we're going to come back again to more of broadband and economic development. Uh, this roundtable is happening in Washington. I think there's going to be a lot of great ideas that will come out of this. Uh, there are a lot of you know, heavy hitters from various aspects of national government, uh, the 
public sector uh, advocacy groups and so forth. And so I think over the next couple of weeks, we will be coming back on this show to look at um, uh, at some of these issues. So have a great day, and we will talk again soon. Take care. Bye.